everyone. This is Janice Alpert with On Purpose, where we interview people who have been on the path of finding their purpose in hopes that we can help you maybe find yours or if you're already on it and you're a little shaky, give you a little strength and encouragement to stick with it. And today I'm happy to have Michelle Pollock. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Janice. Yes. So as most of my listeners know, I really hardly ever know anybody at all before I meet them, which is true with you. I mean, I just got a little little bit of background. So um, let's just dive in. And why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Where'd you grow up and a little bit about your background? Sure. So I grew up in Westboro, Massachusetts. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, And I was there for my entire childhood. I went to, um, then I went to Chicago for college, which I know is where you are, right? Right. I'm in Chicago. Yes. I I know just for the listener. I mean, how how we met Michelle is that she, she does know my niece who I actually interviewed, um, whenever, right at the beginning of the podcast. So I think you're friendly now. So um, very good friend. Sandy is how I ended up where I am today in Maple Jersey. Um, We are now neighbors, which is just an amazing thing. Oh, Um, nice. I love and I love Maplewood, New Jersey. I've been there many times. (laughs) It's a beautiful community. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, So I went from Westboro to Northwestern. Then I spent a year in Chicago after graduation and then spent some time in New York, then L.A. and oh. now at Maple, New Jersey. So I've been all over the map. <laughs> OK, so, oh, my goodness, you certainly have. So let's go back. So growing up, how was your family? Like, where do you have a lot of do you have siblings? What's I have a younger sister mm-hmm. um, and a mom and a dad, okay. um, which is not a given these days. Right. So that is um, true. Grew up in a very regular nuclear family, okay. um, and I was a performer, and that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an actress when I okay. grew up. So even in grammar school, you were my uh, entire life from the time I was three. When I was three years old, and I was on the stage in my recital, and we were supposed to blow one kiss and get off the stage. Uh huh. Twenty, they had to come and like it was like they needed a hook to get me off. So right from the beginning of your little life at three years old, you were like, I love performing. That was like your calling. Yes. And eighth grade, my mother got a phone call from another mom who said, Joanne, I heard a rumor that you're moving to New York for Michelle's career. And my mom was like, no, we are not moving to New York for Michelle's career. Career in quotes. Yes. I think I was like trying early versions of manifesting. I told everybody we were moving to New York City for my career. So that didn't happen, but I really, really wanted it to. Okay. So Um, first of all, for again, just FYI, for those probably, I don't know, you know, who've been listening, you know, I, I think that manifesting and vision boards and putting it out in the universe just doesn't hurt. And I have, I have a funny couple funny stories of myself doing that. And then it happens. And then people think I'm a witch and I go, well, I don't really think I'm a witch or some kind of supernatural power because besides putting it out there, you have to do a little work to make it happen. So, this but meanwhile, so you, you start it there. Happen if you don't have the vision, right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You got to have the vision and otherwise nothing's going to be happening. So you had a vision early on that you're going to New York. Go ahead for your career. So I, I, you know, I applied to colleges to go for theater and I ended up at Northwestern, which was an amazing school for theater. Um, Mm -hmm. I had an incredible time there. And And, and then was that your major? Your major was theater? My major was a theater major. Okay. Um, 
I did. I worked professionally for a few years after college. So I worked professionally in Chicago. I did a few shows in Chicago before I moved myself to New York for my Uh-oh. career. Okay. Well, good. for. So while you're in Chicago, though, were you, you were living on your own or? I had some roommates. I had a couple roommates from college. Okay. But the, um, the calling on the inside of performing was still very... Oh, definitely still very present. Yes. Very, very present. So you were, yes. you were actually in some shows as a performer. I was. Yep. I wonder yep. If, oh, maybe I, we'll have to talk. Maybe I saw you. You never know. I go to a lot yeah. of, I love theater. So yeah. Okay. So, so you, so then you decided after a couple of years or three years, whatever it was, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move myself to New York. I went to New York city and I did the whole, uh, uh, waiting tables. Actually, Sandy and I waited tables together at Rosa Mexicano. Oh, that's hysterical. That was when we actually reconnected and really got to. Uh, did you know her? Again, reminder, yeah. Sandy's my niece who's an actress and a playwright. Then I'm just going to give a plug. Her show that she wrote called The Cottage is opening in July on Broadway. And I'm going to be there on opening preview night. Just thought I'd throw that in. So anyone that's going to New York and you want to see a great comedy farce written by my beautiful, talented niece, Sandy Rustin, it's called The Cottage. I think you'll like it. I digress. Go, Michelle. (laughs) I love the plug for Sandy's play. We should all plug Sandy's play. Yeah. So anyhow, um, I was waiting tables and I was auditioning and I did. I left the city a few times to do shows. And then one day I was cartwheeling across the stage at a callback or the rehearsal room. The stage sounds like, you know, and the rehearsal room for a callback for the national tour of Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, okay. Just sat there and afterwards I was like, I don't want to cartwheel across the stage eight shows a week. I don't want to leave New York City to do that. Like I wanted to be in New York. I wanted to be in my life. And I also kind of was like, I don't really want to be an Annie, get your gun. I really want to be a part of making new theater that's exciting and that like jazz. So from there I went and for a little bit, I left theater actually for a second and I interned for a film company, which was really interesting. Okay. But my, my theater was in my heart. That was what I wanted. So the so theater wanted was. To- so even though you, you, you were thinking, I don't want to perform or at least not nanny, get your gun and leave the city and do a travel thing. Mm-hmm. There was still part of you in your soul. Like, but I just love theater. Correct. Oh okay. yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to, I thought I wanted to get into producing and, you know, do that whole thing. So I did. I mean, I then went and worked for two different Broadway producers. I produced a show that Sandy was in oh. <laughs> off, oh. off Broadway um, right around the time of 9-11, actually. Oh, wow. It was really a fascinating. That was a fascinating thing to just see how that theater brought people together. And, oh, I you know, yeah, so you were in New York when, when 9-11 happened. Yeah. Yep. Oh, scary then, time. Um, And so I opened a bunch of shows on Broadway. I worked for a producer first who had a lot of flops. And then I went and worked for two very successful producers. I worked for the guys who um, opened Rent on Broadway. Oh, wow. I love Rent. I worked on, I opened um, Baz Luhrmann's Lava Mm Wem. So I got to work with Baz Luhrmann, which was a experience. And then we opened Avenue Q together. I I love Avenue Q. These are, I just love that show. Oh, that was a great show. It's a fabulous show. It was really fun. And that was a phenomenal experience as well. Um, And well, it's, there's so many, I mean, now hindsight's 2020. I think 
I would say that producing must not have been my calling because I left it. So mm-hmm. I I didn't feel such a pull to stay in it that I was willing to do anything, you know, okay. within reason. I understand. I left, I, I moved out to LA because I met my husband and we were a long distance for a year and a half. Oh, okay. And then I decided, you know what? I want to try TV and film. I wanted in my mind, I wanted more of a ladder to climb. And I okay. thought I'll stay, in the, I'll stay in the arts, but I would like to like, theater was kind of all these producers had an assistant and then there are the producers and that's what there is. And I mm-hmm. didn't feel ready, I guess, to be a producer on my own. Okay. Um, but on the so, inside, you knew you wanted still wanted to be in the entertainment field, and but you wanted something more. You wanted to get a little yeah. higher on the hierarchy here. Exactly. So you knew that within yourself. Money. I wanted, you know, theater okay. is a big risky business. I wanted to make more money. I wanted the opportunity to make more money and to like to grow rather than just like out of the whatever the expression is out of the pot into the frying into the pan. kettle or whatever. Yeah. yeah I, whatever that expression I know, is. So, I know what you're saying. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, so I went and I worked in television. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at CBS in television and I was, um, I worked in a department called current programming, which means okay. that yes. we were the liaison, once a show got on the air, so I wasn't developing new material, but once the show was actually on the air, I was working as a liaison between the show and the network and okay. all the elements of the network. So I worked with them. I mean, my biggest job was creative. It was giving notes on stories and scripts and the edits of the cuts. And and I would go on set. But and then any show oh, that we've heard of. Oh, yeah. I worked on. Um, I don't know if you. it was a long time ago. So yeah. without a trace. Oh, I sure I saw this show. Yeah. And I worked on a show called The Unit um, with okay. Dennis. Burt. It was, oh, yeah, I, uh, I believe I think I saw show. that. Yeah. And then I also worked on uh, The New Adventures of Little Christine with with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I saw that. I love that show. It was a great one. That was my I favorite. Lo- Oh, so you did some really interesting things. I was, I was, I, I was curious, of course, but I was just, so you were doing some interesting things using your creativity. I was, and yet Janice, I still did not feel fulfilled. I ah. still felt like something was missing. I was, okay. people had the same reaction you had. Oh, that's so cool. You're working right. on these things. It exactly. Was and I just was like, something feels like it's missing. Okay. And I, did not, I tried all sorts of things. I went and got certified to be a yoga teacher. This was all while I was working. I went and got certified to be a yoga teacher. I went and I took some interior design classes. Oh, okay. You're pushing, you're reaching now. You're reaching. Yes. Um, and I ultimately, what ended up happening was I got laid off at CBS when I was eight months pregnant. Oh my. I'd gotten promoted before they knew I was pregnant at four months mm-hmm. when I was four months pregnant, and then I got laid off. It was, it was fall of 2008. So it was, you know, a very rough time. Right. And it, it, it I was devastated. I was going to say it, you had no idea. I was, I was, well, not only did I have no idea. I also, everyone told me you're safe. You're pregnant. They'd be crazy to lay right, off. You, you can sue them. Right. Right. Which it, I, I didn't, I didn't sue them because I was pregnant and I yeah. didn't want the stress. You don't I want the negative want... energy, right? I really did. So it turns out as devastated as I was, 
the truth was, I mean, I say I was devastated, yet I wasn't that happy in my job. Mm-hmm. I was searching for something else. Yes, you so were. Was this, I think it was more of this feeling of, I felt like a failure because I had been laid off rather mm-hmm. than leave. But I also sure. wonder if I would have left if I hadn't been laid off. And leave and not being in that job allowed me to really explore Mm-hmm. I got to be a mommy, which was, you know, I started looking to go back to work when my daughter was three months old and I would come home. I, I the first three interviews I, I went on, I got in my car and cried. <laughs> I understand. So I kind of thought to myself, maybe I'm not ready to leave her yet. Yeah. And then around a year, I was really ready to leave her. I, and I, got, I got pregnant again with my second daughter. Oh, so yeah, now we have now we have two babies. Okay. Now we have two babies that are very close in age. And you know, the thing that kept coming up as a theme from my days at CBS and even when I was a mom, people kept saying to me, You should have you ever thought about being a life coach? Hmm. And I sat there going, What the hell is a life coach? I do not like that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm There's like, what are you even talking about? What is that? Mm -hmm. And then as I continued, uh, I started exploring and I was like, oh, this is interesting to me. I had always been super, super into personal development. Mm -hmm. I went to therapy. I, it changed my life. Mm. I continued to explore. I support that and love that as a therapist, of course. Go ahead. It really was life-changing for me. Um, Good. I'm so happy. It really helped me to understand that I could change my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Whereas before therapy, I really believed this is just the way I am. Mm -hmm. I am how I am. And I saw firsthand that that wasn't true. And Mm -hmm. I think ultimately, once I started to look into coaching, I, um, I realized this might, this might be the right next thing for me. Okay. Because I would love to help other people understand that they're not just the way they are. Mm-hmm. Like th- that your brain is malleable into your nineties, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I do. And- I, I hope so. <laughs> Cause I'm not that I'm 90 yet, but I, 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 I do believe totally that there's, we're, we're an ongoing evolution of change till our last breath. So um, I, and it's never too late ever, ever to change or to do something different. If, if that's what your inner soul is calling. And I've said this many times on this podcast, I don't think that there's just one path or just one purpose. I think if you're open to it, it, it might change. It might be the same thing. I don't know. I mean, even for myself. So I've been a therapist for over 40 years, but I've also done public speaking. I'm an author. So I think you can do lots of things. And I don't, I don't know what else, there may be something else yet. I don't know. So, but I, I just think you have to be open to it. I mean, right now I'm good, happy with what I'm doing and and whatnot, but we don't know. So you, so you saw that like, there might be a a path here where I could feel even deeper fulfillment than performing or being in the arts. Yes. I I thought that I, I started to look into it and then I got a phone call. Um, from Paramount Television to go be a creative consultant on Grease Live, which was oh. awesome. So, so I thought, okay, you know what? Because I was struggling. Do I really want to give up entertainment? Am I sure? I, I just, I wasn't sure. And so I went and I did that. And it was great because it was also part-time. It was a consultant position. Oh. So I still got to do mommy, be mommy and get back right. to work. 
This is still I in think- California? This is still in LA. I had been okay. home with my kids for my, when I started this job, my oldest was five. So my little one was three. Okay. So it was a, an amazing experience. I thought the production was incredible and I became very clear. I do not want to go back in entertainment. Okay. Not this way. Not right now. Okay. So I am in a coaching course. Mm-hmm. And did you decided, know anyone else that was a life coach or had you? I had a very good friend from college who Sandy also knows he was um, he was an actor and he had been coaching actors okay. and he had gone through this coaching program. And so it was very unlike me. I usually research everything like crazy. And he just said, just do this program. It's amazing. And so I did. I signed up for the first course. Mm-hmm. And I went and after that first weekend, I signed up for the whole shebang. I was like, I wow. am feel it in my gut. I feel it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the process of doing that work. I don't know if it was that I was older. I don't know if this was the right thing for me, okay. but the grit that I didn't necessarily feel I had always had in pursuing other things, yes. like I talked about with the producing it was full force once I found coaching mm-hmm. and I've been doing it ever since. Okay. So, so once you started, the, you took the classes and then you said to your, and you could feel that you love it and that it was that, it, that inside yourself, it was almost like I've often, like people have even asked me, you know, cause I'm still working and whatnot, but I don't really feel like it's work because when you love, I mean, yes, I'm working, but I feel if you love what you do, And I feel so blessed and I always feel so sad when people are in these horrible jobs and they say they can't leave because of the money or because of this or because of that. And I'm not trying to be flippant. I mean, we do have to feed our families and have health insurance and whatnot. But if you're really miserable, I just always like, oh, no, please don't be miserable your whole life. It's it's something else you can find to do that will pay you and give you health insurance that you don't have. It might not be. They might not feel like you and I where they're lit, but they don't have to hate it. Right. I I, agree. And I literally I literally almost said the exact same thing to um, a client recently of, you know, it. she knows that I love it. And I go, but but you may not love it in that way, but you whatever it is. But you you, wouldn't it be nice not to get up and hate it or feel unfulfilled or whatever. And in order to do that, you I'm guessing and you'll talk a little bit. You have. Well, this is how I feel. You have to take a risk and go in and be a little uncomfortable, um, which I'm guessing you you did with the coaching and then you loved it. So then did you open your own business right away? Did you work for someone? How did you? I have only worked for myself the entire time. How long Um, and how long have you been doing this now? So the the part of the program that I did, we had practice clients during So every, it was, I started with, it was a five weekends over the course of five months. And it was like a three-day weekend. And we had to have a practice client lined up for each weekend. Okay. And they encouraged us to invite those people to become clients Um, at the end of that time. And it was like, I think my first client, I charged like $25 a session. Uh Right. the idea was you don't get better at this by sitting in a class. You get better at this by doing it. I, you know? and I would agree. I always tell, I've supervised some uh, people who, you know, or want to be therapists and I go, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I do feel I'm a good therapist. I hope, well, I hope so after all this time, but I don't know <laughs> that I was that great 40 years ago. I, it's practice, practice, practice. 
So you, okay. and you have to allow yourself to make a mistake or do something like, Oh, why did I say that? Or why didn't I say that or whatever and learn from it. So that's part of the so practice. Three of those five people that I were my practice clients signed up to work with me. So Lovely. they had my first three clients. Right. Um, and then when I decided to get certified, I went through their certification program. Part of the requirement for that is that you have to have at least five paying clients at all times. Okay. So something that shifted for, I had always wanted to work for myself. I just truly, there was a very long time where I didn't actually believe it was possible. I didn't see how I could possibly, I just, the, the realistic part of me, which that's what I called it then. Now I would call it, you know, my saboteurs and my right. voices out, right? But our, the, negative, it, our negative, so our negative, our negative. Yep. It was so loud and, and it just stopped me in my tracks every time. And I think with coaching, I felt such a sense of connection. And as you said, fulfillment mm-hmm. that I, and I also became so aware of those voices yep. that I was able to, Getting to where I wanted to be was more important than listening to those voices. Right. Okay. Love that. Because I think that that is so um, true for so many that we have this negative self-talk, this inner critic, whatever you want to call it, that guides us and that we we do our life based on fear versus uh, um, on hope and faith and hard work, obviously, and listening. None of this can happen unless you listen to that little inner voice and think, okay, even though my other voice is saying, no, 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 my deeper inner voice is going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I listen to that, I've said this many times, the money, I believe in abundance and money. I'm all good with that. I think we should all have money and abundance and good things, but we should also love as much as we possibly can what we're doing. And usually for of service to others, in whatever way that is, that's also a big, uh, I just feel like that's very supported by the universe and hopefully the people in our, our lives. So it sounds like every, your husband was supportive of you going on your own. And yep. so you started your own practice and I started my own practice and I slowly but surely built it. And I hired in, in 2018, I hired a business coach to help me because I realized that coaching and running a business were two very different things. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I really like was clear that I was a really stellar coach and really knew nothing about running my own business. That's like that's like when you think about doctors. Doctors always have to have a business manager to do their practice, you know. So it's it's and as a sole practitioner myself, but I still had to build my business back when I started. Um, it's hard to do both. So yeah. I, and that's the other thing too is that when you're on your path and you and your purpose it's part of it is like knowing yourself like okay i can do this really well but in this area maybe not so much it's kind of like even with this podcast i knew i could not do it myself and i found noah well people know that the universe provided that um because yeah, otherwise i would never be able to do this so you kind of have to know okay this i know i'm good at this or whatever it is but i don't know about this part so you knew that so you so five, six years ago, whenever this was, you hired. So, a- I hired, so two years after I started, I hired a business coach. Okay. And since then, I, I mean, she, the first thing she helped me with was uh, figuring out how to have a consistent stream of clients. Yeah. Um, okay. And so, so that way, then I got to build on other things because I knew that I knew that I knew how to bring in clients when I needed okay. them. Okay. And so, so that's. That's yeah. what I've been doing. That's that's it. Okay. That's where I am today. And you still feel that this, like you're clear within that this is what you're supposed to be doing and you're on your 
purpose here? So yes. And yes, I love what I'm doing. I do. I am. I love learning. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and the more I'm in this, the more I recognize there's more to learn and know. So some of the things I'm really interested in adding to my, yes. to what I already know are, you know, is nervous system work and yep. coaching and things like that, because I am so aware now of how much is held in the body. And mm-hmm. I have a clients that, you know, work with me while they work with a therapist. I have my old therapist from New York has worked with five of my clients. Okay. Five of my clients. Cause I also know my limitations and coaching is not therapy. It's and, not, you know, so it's also building sort of, you know, a pool of people I can refer out to as well when there's something that isn't in my wheelhouse, but I do, there is, it is so gratifying to watch people who think they can't discover that they can. Oh, I love that. So what's, so when you think to yourself, my main, like when I'm working with a client and they come Mm -hmm. to me and they say, I I'm, I'm miserable either in my job or I'm just stuck in my life. Like what, Mm -hmm. how do you begin? And, and, and they, they might even say to you, I'm not sure what I want, but I had a little idea, but I know it's impossible. Or maybe they don't have any idea. Like what would you be sharing with them and how do you begin? So I usually work with people in two ways. One is the one you mentioned, feeling stuck in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they they have a sense of where they want to go, but they don't know where they want to begin. Or sometimes they have no idea. Right. Or I work with people who love what they do, but they there's a lot of imposter complex. Mm-hmm. They want to lead in a different way than they're okay. finding able to lead. And so for helping women to, I largely work with women. I do work with why adore, but there's a special, there's a specific thing that happens for women in leadership there. So, you know, there's a lot. Well, women are afraid of the word power. Mm -hmm. They feel that it has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of women, not every woman, but there's been so much abuse of power in our country, especially by men. Oh, I say, <laughs> I always say, I always say, don't get me started. And it's not yeah, the scope of this sure. podcast, but oh my God. And so women equate the idea of power with that abuse of power rather than what they can living into their values, what does it look like when they are in power and in leadership? That leadership does not have to be this patriarchal idea of that we've had for so many, you know, this model right. of one way, right? But helping women to discover what it looks like when they own who they are and what they want it to look like. And a big part of that comes with self-compassion as well. Mm-hmm. Because there's women tend to be so scared of making a mistake because they feel like they have one shot. Whereas yep. men don't worry. They fail their way up all the time. Right. Yeah. Well, so the, those are the two kinds of ways mm-hmm. I work with women, but I start with them the same way, which is I, I hinted at is, is values work. Mm-hmm. Getting really clear on what's most important to you to have a fulfilling life mm-hmm. becomes a compass for everything you do. Right. Totally. You know, when you're talking about mistakes, so one, I'm sure this won't shock you. I believe women can have power and it doesn't have to be negative. And I, I think that women, we've got so much going on and it's, it hasn't always been cultivated. And I love that someone of your generation is trying to help women, you know, um, 
access that. I think that's great because I think, you know, even, even though, so I'm from the baby boomer. So that was really out. I mean, I well, and I'm not trying to miss myself pat on the bat, but I well surpassed anything my parents would have ever thought. And I did a lot of things that were so outside. Even now I go, I don't even know how I did that, but whatever I was motivated. I don't know. I, but, and I'm, I, again, it was all good, but scary and whatnot. But I even feel still in, you know, even in the young women in their thirties and forties, um, there's still not, I don't feel enough of a message of, come on, ladies, you can do it. And it's okay. And, you know, when you're talking about men making mistakes, and I just saw the movie Air, you know, about Michael Jordan and yes. Nike, it was really good. So but good. Um, one of the posters that, that my son loved, who's 48, um, so back in the day, it was, was a picture of Michael Jordan um, shooting a basket. And I don't know if you missed or whatever, but the quote is, for every basket I got, I missed 500 million. Other, do you know what I'm saying? So his right. his point was, is just what you're saying that, no, we're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And not everything is necessarily going to be smooth. Nothing was always smooth on my career path either, but so what you still, that's if it's, right. if it's in you and you, you go for it. So, and if you meet someone like Michelle, she's going to help you do that. Um, yeah. So, and with compare, I want to hear what you, a little bit more about the compassion part, because I agree with you about that too. So, what's so the, com- the? I believe that women, I mean, when we're not compassionate to her, and this is good, it speaks directly to the inner critic, the self compassion is cultivated yep. by having awareness around the inner, that inner critic, um, or this self doubt, or any of those little voices that are talking us out of things that are coming from fear, like you right. said. Yep. And, when we can cultivate compassion towards those parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. not be so hard on ourselves, it leaves a lot more room for experimentation, for taking risks. Yep. And it also allows us to show up more with more compassionate towards others as well. Exactly. And so, and just my own philo- philosophy, there's um, a great, um, her name is, I don't know if you know, Kristen Neff. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So she's a self-compassion. I always say guru and her, yeah. her little prayer that, that she recommends you say to every day is may I be healthy. And I'm par- I might be paraphrasing, but may I be healthy, may I be safe. And may I have inner peace. You say that to yourself, then you picture someone you love and you say it to them. And then you picture someone else in your life. That's maybe more of an acquaintance and you say it to them. Then you picture someone that you're not really too fond of. And you say it to them. And then I always say it to the country and to the world. And so it takes about, I do it before I go to bed, maybe about two minutes. It's, but when you do that and you're putting that compassion first to yourself, you know, then in a loving way, but then you're even broadening out to someone that maybe you don't lo- like or love or care about or think is, ho- even if think is horrible, that that sets a tone that to me gives back to yourself. Not that I'm doing it for that. But that really is what happens. And if you practice it, you, you, I can't explain the evidence, but you'll see it. Would you agree with the that? The other thing it does, Janice, is I think it allows you to see things from a different perspective with other people as totally. well. Totally. Yeah, go and ahead. And the thing is that one of the big things I work on with clients is perspective shift. Take the 50,000 foot view, right? Yep. Take the bird's eye view because... We see things from our little bubble up close, but, and so we may not like that other person or we might not get along with them. What happens when you put yourself in their shoes? Mm -hmm. 
What happens when you see things from their perspective? You may not, you may still say like, I don't like how they operate in the world, Mm -hmm. but I might understand it differently. And that can change how you approach things and that can change everything. And that can change how you approach yourself. So that if, if you can have the compassion, especially it's more challenging for someone that you think that person just drives me crazy. I know for myself, therapeutically, when someone comes in, they go, oh, someone at work or whoever makes me so angry. The first question I ask is, why do they make you so angry? Because it's not always about what the other person is doing. It's usually has something to do with what's going on inside yourself. Perhaps it's a trigger from a childhood event or whatever. But I don't know. I don't like to walk around being angry. I don't ever want to give anybody that much going back to the power. I want the power to be within myself. And I want to live in a place of love and inner peace and compassion. And that's to me how we stay open to whatever our purpose or path or calling, whatever you want to call it is. And to me, it's it's a gift when we're doing what we love. I feel that that has like, you know, the butterfly flaps its wing and it has whatever that saying is, it flaps its wing in Japan and it has a, and then there's an ocean in California that it has a wave or something. I don't know, but you get what I'm saying, that we all have an effect on each other. So when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, it's, it's, it's a gift to the whole world. Um, So I'm, so it sounds like you have, you're, you like loving this. And I just have to ask you before we, two things before we close. Um, Yeah. Anything that you're doing coaching, like in the entertainment, like what happened to all that entertainment stuff? Do you have clients? So I do. I have quite a few. I have clients that are writers. I have, I have two clients that are Broadway producers. I'm actually allowed to talk about them because they are very vocal about me. So I work with um, uh, uh, Sue Sue Wagner and John Johnson, who opened uh, the Lehman trilogy on Broadway last year. And they have right now they have um, Sidney Bernstein's window. The view from Sidney Bernstein's window is on Broadway. They did the old man in the pool with Mike Birbiglia and they have. Just so you know, if the listeners, you don't know who these people are or what she's talking about. I don't either, but we're not from New York and we're not in the Broadway theater, but it sounds really good. Sounds really good. My clients I do not share, but they are, they, they are very vocal about, it. So, um, so, but I, so I do, I work with a lot of people in entertainment and you're okay with that. I mean, that's that. Oh, I love it. Okay. I, and I also, the beautiful thing about what I do is if I ever decide I want to go produce again, why you can, why not? I you can. can, you totally can, you know, and my husband is a writer just like Sandy. So he, I have, I have him in the entertainment industry. It's enough. One person is enough. <laughs> Okay. Well, the big, I, the big thing is you're, you didn't close it off. So, so that's what I think is great. So that's something you did love for so much of your life. It's still open in your heart. And so you'll be in that field, perhaps in another way, or maybe go back. We don't know, but you're not closing the door. No, okay. that's always a possibility. I mean, that's a beautiful thing about theater. Especially film too, is you can always, you, you raise the money and you put on a show. I, I mean, I make it sound so easy, right? It's so not so easy, easy, so easy. That I mean, you know, you raise the money and you put on, and, and then you have to have knowledge and taste and And grit, as you said, and grit. And grit. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyhow, but that's always a possibility for okay. me. And I do, I still take dance classes because- okay. This brings me a lot of joy. So okay. I keep it in my life in little ways. So, okay. So you, you keep yourself one foot in, it sounds like. All right. Exactly. So before we end, and I'm going to do a quote that actually I took from your website. Um, I always okay. end every every uh, podcast episode with a quote, but I like this one from your uh, actual website. So um, 
any closing thoughts? So someone is kind of struggling um, and they and they only hear the inner critic like I can't, I can't, I can't. Anything that just in summary you would say to them like to help them along? Yeah, I think like when you start to notice that I can't, I can't, I can't voice, mm-hmm. stop thinking it's you. Separate from it a little bit. Label it as your inner critic and just say my inner critic says and see what happens from that one little exercise of okay. putting that voice outside of yourself right. and just notice what happens when you don't take that on like it's yourself talking to you and mm-hmm. instead it's my inner critic says or, you know, that's my inner critic. Right. So her name, just so you know, remind remind you who we're talking to is Michelle Pollack. I um, one of the things I liked about your website is you had for free so you can just Google her mm-hmm. and um, a seven step thing of how to begin rethinking things, including especially your inner critic. Um, I thought it was really, really good. I, I didn't, I, I don't feel like I, that's a huge issue in my life, but Hey, it, I'm sure it comes up every now and then because the big thing is we're not perfect. So that goes back to the compassion. If you say, Oh, I made a mistake and now I can't do it. Well, then you're stuck. So let's not do that because we want everyone to be on their purpose so they can feel fulfilled. And I believe give back to the world. So here, this is from Michelle's website. This two little sentences that I loved and here, and here's the quote, we can't wait for others to step up and fulfill their purpose. We need you and we need you now. So I just love that because when you do what you're, we need you, we need you to do your thing. So don't try not to be scared. If you are get some support, call Michelle or whomever. Um, and, and, and do it. Okay. Michelle, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much again for doing this. I wish you all the best. And I I love the, I love the path you're on. I think it's great. Okay. This is Janice Alpert with On Purpose, uh, hoping that you're doing your life with purpose and maybe doing it even on purpose until next time. Bye-bye. 